The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. As of March 1st, our 2020 FBS team profiles are available to our Tier 2 patrons. The team profiles include individual player ratings for more than 11,000 players, regularly updated depth charts, injury reports, transfers, and power rankings for all 130 FBS teams. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to join. Hello and welcome to the CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, no cancellations of this meetup. Uh, it is Nicholas Ian Allen, at CFB Winning Edge, on the Twitter for him, owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, you can find him on the Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, to yell at him for all of the reasons that he hates your school. Uh, but, uh, boys, I mean... I'm just glad that we can keep this thing moving and going, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it works out pretty well for me. I'm, I'm fairly antisocial uh, <laughs> to begin with, so uh, I, I do work from home already. So I, I am in a uh, certainly a, a better spot than, than some, but I uh, hope everybody's staying safe out there for sure. And Xavier, I know you're going to be super disappointed if classes are canceled. Ah, man, it's going to break my heart. It's absolutely going to ruin my week. Uh, Georgia State hasn't announced that they're going to cancel classes yet, but we have signed a petition with over 20,000 signatures at this point. We're just waiting for them to drop the bill. Uh, You know, um, but hopefully everybody's safe out there. Uh, And, you know, funny funny thing about this is, like, now people are washing their hands. I'm like, why weren't you washing your hands before? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I've seen that. Have you seen like the uh, the meme generator that has you can put the lyrics of your favorite song to wash your hands and all that stuff. <laughs> so uh, I mean, there's just all kinds of there's funny stuff going on, but it's it's weird. And uh, I know March Madness uh, just um, you know announced a couple minutes before we got on here that they are not going to have fans in attendance for the game. So that's going to be very very strange. Uh, and I know some spring practices have been canceled too, Nick. So uh, we're in, I don't want to call it panic. I know the media wants to call it panic, but um, I don't want to call it panic. It's just an abundance of precaution, I think, going on right now, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on any of this stuff, so I don't want to speculate too wildly, but I think for the most part, I side on the, better safe than sorry. You know, I know it's, it's certainly disappointing when events are canceled and it's, you know, I have some things that are affecting uh, student athletes, you know, pretty heavily. I saw the Ivy league canceled all its spring sports. So like the baseball season is canceled. Uh, so, you know, stuff like that is, is really tough. And, and, you know, you hate to see situations like that arise, but this seems you know, seems different, seems weird. So uh, I think we're all probably better off safe than sorry. And, you know, keep in mind that sports, as much as we love them and spend time on them, uh, aren't that big a deal in the long run. Right, right. And I think, you know, if you just sit and think about it, like, uh, and I know everyone is talking about, um, you know, how we're going a little overboard here, but I don't know that there's anything that I would take a week of the flu for. And coronavirus is worse than the flu. 
So I don't know that there's a single event that I'm like, if I went to that, it would it would be okay if I got coronavirus. There's nothing. So uh, I mean, maybe uh, you know, a week free at the Bunny Ranch. That's all I can think of. You know, other than that, nope. Uh, I don't I don't see anything. So um, just think before you speak. Sometimes. Uh, but let's talk about some football, right? I mean, it, it's it's a ways down the road, so we don't have to worry about anything but spring practice getting canceled for football right now. Uh, and, Nick, we've got a lot of new stuff available at uh, CFB Winning Edge. So why don't you uh, hit us with uh, the head coaching ratings and all that good stuff? Yeah, well, I just wanted to give a, a quick update. We mentioned last week that uh, our patrons now have access to our 2020 FBS team profiles and, and did that because – uh, first of all, we've had a, a lot of patrons that have stick, you know, stuck with us uh, throughout the offseason, and, and we certainly appreciate that and, and want to uh, give access as soon as we can so that uh, people who are supporting us, we can help you know, give them value for that support. And so release the previews you know, before they were 100% uh, complete, done, and perfect, um, but you know, continuing to update those things and, and a couple of updates since we last spoke, uh, all of our head coach ratings, I mentioned in passing a few times uh, that I wanted to, to go through, had a, a plan in place to update those, make them a little bit more uh, hopefully, you know, uh, predictive and, and correct and, and better reflect historical results. And I think uh, found a, a a really great way to do that. Really excited about it and, and have updated those head coach ratings uh, for all the teams. And those are in the profiles. They're available. There's a new sheet uh, that you can see uh, every head coach and, and you know, the different uh, team performance ratings that they've gotten throughout the years when they've been head coaches and, and uh, also have uh, unveiled our new offensive coordinator ratings as well, which are done in the same way, have uh, the same, uh, looking sheet, you can go through and see, you know, what what each uh, offensive coordinator, what grade that they were given for a particular year when they were a play caller, things like that. Uh, defensive coordinator, I was just uh, getting started on that sheet before we started recording today, so that should be done within the next 24 hours or so. But uh, that's you know something that that we're excited about. That's a part of our overall. Uh, projection model and and those ratings for head coaches and, and coordinators do factor into our overall team strength ratings. So just wanted to let folks know out there, uh, if you're patrons, you'll you'll be able to see that uh, now and, and the defensive coordinator ratings coming up soon. And and if you're uh, thinking of uh, potentially joining us, that that that's another step toward uh, getting these things 100% complete and and correct. And uh, also. Along those lines, got a couple of other big things that we're hoping to get wrapped up by the end of the month. Uh, we've got a new, uh, for each team, their their schedule and projection and, and breaks down a lot of different uh, matchups based on a lot of our ratings. Uh, those should be done by the end of the month. And also uh, our returning production numbers should be done by the end of the month, where uh, if you've been with us for a while, we had a really great uh uh, database that was made available to our patrons last year that broke down the the percentages of every single uh, statistic really that that you could want you know percentage of passing yards coming back or or receiving uh, yards coming back tackles for lost you know all all those sort of counting stats we've got percentages and and uh, have a uh, you can actually go through and look and see you know team by team player by player 
who's gone and, and what production is, is coming back. So all that's in the works and, and should have it wrapped up uh, hopefully by the end of this month, but uh, it's coming, coming soon and, and excited about the progress. And if anyone was wondering why Nick is a hermit and uh, doesn't like to leave his house a lot, it's because he's working so hard on all of this stuff. So, this is true. Uh, and I mean, I know all about that because, you know, I'm on, you know, 13,000 different podcasts a week. So uh, same deal. Very much a hermit. Uh, me, me and Nick are on the vitamin D supplements for sure. So li- live like a vampire. I do. I like the, the shades drawn because it's usually hot here and, and all that stuff. But uh, let's get to some news and notes. Enough of coronavirus and, and all of that stuff. And, and I thought this first one was very, very, uh, a very, very good move. The Indiana quarterback Peyton Ramsey announced his intentions to transfer to Northwestern. And nice. n- now there's going to be a little bit of a QB race, but I expect Peyton Ramsey to come away with that job. And it uh, kind of, there's nothing lurking behind Penix now at Indiana as well, right, Nick? Yeah, I mean, Peyton Ramsey was certainly one of the more sought after grad transfer options for a lot of teams you know once jamie newman his uh had decided to go to georgia i think probably well dear king of course now at miami but peyton ramsey was was up there i mean he's somebody that started 23 games he's played in 32 games he's been productive he showed some uh you know some real leadership i would say uh, at indiana last couple of years uh didn't win the job coming out of uh, spring in either 2018 or 2019, Michael Penix was uh, the guy that that Indiana decided that they were going to go with. But Penix, of course, had the injuries uh, each of those years, and Ramsey ended up playing a lot and, and playing well. So uh, he was somebody that uh, certainly has an opportunity, would have had an opportunity to play just about anywhere. Lands at Northwestern, who I mean, Northwestern was historically awful uh, as far as just you know, their passing offense was, was about as bad as it gets last year. I mean, really was, was, uh, I've been working through a a statistics project for, uh, the F on sports preview magazine and, and just sort of, you know, I, I was, I was struggling to limit myself on the number of Northwestern passing stats. Just, it's just ridiculous how, how poor it was. And, and, uh, they were really, you know, talk about transfers. Hunter Johnson, the former five-star transfer at Clemson, uh, was expected to be just a, a, a perfect fit, perfect option. Uh, sat out 2018, was going in 2019, going to be the starter. You know, he had some struggles. He had some injuries. But they ended up starting uh, four different guys. Aiden Smith uh, made several starts. Uh, Andrew Marty started their uh, season finale. You know, Johnson uh, had, had four or five starts as well. So, you know, they, Ramsey hopefully will bring some stability. We've talked about before that Northwestern is one of the most, uh, experienced teams from a returning production standpoint in the country. I mean, Bill Connolly, uh, his numbers have them actually as the, the most returning production and adding Peyton Ramsey to that mix is only going to help, uh, you would expect. So they're able to, to stay healthy, this year and he's able to, to provide some stability at the quarterback position. I, you know, I think it's nothing but good news for Northwestern. There's really nowhere to go, but up as far as their uh, passing offense goes. Xavier, do you like this fit? 
yeah, it's, it's a really nice fit. Nick hit it right on the head. I mean, Peyton Ramsey had more yards passing than the, all four quarterbacks combined for Northwestern. He also had more touchdowns in the limited snaps that he had last year than all four quarterbacks for Northwestern had last year. Uh, they were abysmal uh, when it comes to passing the football. And like Nick said, it gives them a lot to look forward to for returning production. Uh, at the very least, this guy is going to light a fire under Hunter Johnson and the rest of the QBs. Um, I expect him to come right in and win the job, um, obviously, with his pedigree um, and his, you know, the the consistent play that he had at Indiana. Even though it wasn't great, it was still consistently decent, which is something that they didn't have last year. Um, and with bringing back eight starters on offense and eight starters on defense, I mean, you've got to look at this team and go, they can, I'm not going to say they can challenge for their division, but as we talked about in the Big Ten uh, episode, that the the west side of the Big Ten is pretty much open to whoever decides to grab it. Um, you know, and I think that it definitely makes them a team that's not going to be walked over. Um, it's not a cakewalk anymore. Um, and now with a quarterback there who's going, who has experience and who, in my opinion, has experience in this league um, and knows the opponents that he's going to be playing against, it's not abnormal for him either. So I think this is a really good move for both Peyton Ramsey and Northwestern. Uh, former Georgia Tech quarterback Lucas Johnson announced he's transferring to San Diego State. He has two years of eligibility and should challenge Carson Baker for the starting job, uh, and they're going to be replacing Ryan Agnew, Nick. Do you like Lucas Johnson going to San Diego State? I think it's a, a pretty good move, and, and uh, there had been a USC transfer that had uh, announced he was going to San Diego State and, and eventually backed out of that. So obviously the Aztecs were looking for some more competition. And, and Baker did make a start, played in a couple of games last year when Agnew was injured. But I think Johnson, you know, add that to the mix. He, he started a couple of games for Georgia Tech last year. Uh, week two and week three, so he did. He didn't win the job coming out of fall camp, but you know, was, was somebody that um, proved himself capable of, of uh, making a few starts. I know he had some injuries, and and uh, he's actually been granted a, a sixth year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. That's part of why he's got uh, the two years now uh, available to him as a grad transfer. But uh, you know, competition is always good. San Diego State is is. Uh, as a team, we'll talk about a little bit later when we're going through our first uh, first year head coach uh, discussion. Uh, you know, this is an interesting piece to the mix. I mean, he's he's a power five uh, quarterback uh, recruit, has some starting experience in the power five, and though you know Georgia Tech wasn't anything special in, in his uh, limited action early in the season, but um, you know, it's it's certainly. Uh, sounds like a good opportunity for him, a, a chance for him to compete for a starting job. And, uh, you know, you hope that uh, it, it works out well for him. And, and San Diego State certainly going to be one of the favorites in the Mountain West West Division. So could end up playing a pretty big role uh, as far as that conference title race goes. Xavier, you like Lucas Johnson out there with Brady Hoke? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just need to get out of your current situation. You know, a lot of times when players get injured, sometimes it's the place that doesn't allow you, you know, mentally to get out of, you know, your head sometimes. And a change of scenery always helps that situation. Also, he's going home. I think that's a big move from him. He's he's originally from San Diego, so he's going home, and that should help him out a lot as well. When you look at, uh, from a football standpoint, 
like Nick said, he's a power five quarterback. He's going to give them another option. And there's nothing that you, no coach is ever going to be mad at competition. Um, so it gives him an opportunity to go there, possibly win the starting job. Um, he's obviously going to be under a completely different offense than he was at Georgia Tech when he first got there. Um, that may help him out as well. So, you know, I think it's all positives for Lucas Johnson in this case. And from a, you know, from a school perspective, San Diego State, you know, there's nothing wrong with competition. Might as well, you know, look forward to it coming in the spring and possibly the fall as well. And uh, then we had a couple guys suspended. Uh, LSU quarterback uh, Peter Parrish has been suspended definitely for violation of team rules. That leaves two uh, freshman early enrollees as the only scholarship QBs behind Miles Brennan during the spring. And then former number one defensive lineman recruit Antonio Alfano, who transferred from Bama to Colorado, was suspended by the new coach, uh, Carl Durrell. Um, and the details are not actually public right now, so we don't know why he was suspended. So, uh, Nick, I mean, having to suspend players is terrible. Anyway, it just sucks that it has to happen that way, but it seems like Miles Brennan should get all the reps, and I don't know what's going to happen with Alfano here. Yeah, I mean, LSU, they seem, the, the coaching staff there and, and Ed O'Dron had a uh, press conference earlier this week that, you know, he expressed uh, that they're fully behind Miles Brennan, believe in him, and, and uh, certainly think that he's going to give them an opportunity to, to succeed and, and you know compete uh, in the SEC West this year. You just uh, you love to have depth at that position, and and so not having your second most experienced, second oldest uh, quarterback on the roster available is is maybe not a major concern, but it's it's a little bit of a concern. But of course, being LSU, they've got uh, talent behind him. Max Johnson is a, a plus, you know, he's a, he's a, a four star guy. Two four seven gave him a, a rating over ninety coming out of high school, and, and he's already on campus, and so is TJ Finley. So they've got some uh, talented guys that are going to be able to to provide some of that depth, but, um, unless, you know, they surprise us and, and go, uh, grad transfer, which there'd been some talk, you know, at, at the end of last season, some speculation, whether or not they actually did believe miles Brennan was the guy. But at this point, it seems like, you know, they've got, uh, him They're They're ready to, to move forward with him as the starter unless unexpectedly one of the true freshmen, uh, beat him out and, and, uh, you know, uh, creates perhaps an opportunity for one of those guys to maybe have a little bit more uh, clear path to early playing time than previously expected. Uh, as far as Alfano, I mean, the, you know, he was somebody I remember uh, that recruiting evaluators, talent evaluators were really, really excited about. I believe 247 actually had him as their number one overall player in the 2018 class, and, and things unfortunately just didn't work out for him at Alabama. There seemed to be you know, a couple of different off the field issues that, that popped up there. And, and there seemingly were even a few concerns before he even got uh, to campus. So certainly hope that, that whatever uh, is going on with him, that, that he's able to, to uh, you know, move past that, get, get, get things in order and, and would love to see him uh, back on the field and contributing as, as soon as possible if, if he's able to get everything uh, taken care of. But at this point, I mean, if he's he's been, you know, he wasn't, I don't think, dismissed from Alabama, but but uh, there might have been sus some suspensions when he was there. Uh, but, you know, this doesn't really bode well for him as far as a, 
uh, college career. You know, hopefully he's able to get things together and and being as uh, talented as he is, just from a raw talent standpoint, uh, you think you know you hope that his football career is not over. That that eventually you know maybe college isn't for everybody. Maybe you'll get things together in time to contribute later on. But uh, first and foremost, hope he takes care of himself. Yeah, I mean uh, Xavier, any thoughts on these two guys? Well, yeah, for Alfano, it looks like this is something that's been kind of going on for a while now. When he was in Alabama, you know. A couple of quotes from Nick Saban, he talks about him having discipline issues and kind of disappearing for a bit. Um, and the rest of the quote, he says he's he quit going to class. He quit coming here. We tried to encourage him. We tried to help him. Um, and they tried to set up counseling sessions. Um, but he just kind of like just didn't want it. He just kind of quit. Um, and at the same time that this was happening, uh, the player's grandmother was going through some severe health issues. So they probably attended to that. But it just really sounds like he's not maybe in the right mind state to be, you know, playing football at the moment. Um, and he may need to take some time away from the game uh, before ultimately coming back. Um, as far as the LSU quarterback situation, it just, it's, it's tough for you to go into a year where you don't have a, a solid, a solidified backup. Uh, and I know a lot of people don't care about backups because nine times out of 10, they don't play, but just look at Georgia a couple years ago, Jacob Eason goes down game one against app state. Jake Fromm comes in, does a solid job and we get to the national championship. So if people don't think that backup quarterbacks matter, they absolutely do. And to lose the guy who may have been your backup, um, you know, it wasn't uh, set in stone, but it looked like to be the guy to at least be the, go, be the number two spot going in the uh, spring. It, it's it's going to be uh, kind of a, rotating quarterback room at this point and we'll have to see who wins that secondary spot because when you have two freshmen you want one of them to redshirt um so nine times out of ten the better guy will redshirt um so you know we'll have to see uh going forward uh, now we had uh, some good news here 17 former players and two coaches were elected to the college football hall of fame including the main headliners here eric dickerson uh david pollock from georgia eric crouch from nebraska and steve mcnair from alcorn state so a pretty pretty damn good class right nick yeah you know fun to, to see some names that uh uh have fond memories of you know watching uh, most of the i think pollock was the most recent guy to to leave college and he last played in, in 2004 but uh was able to see him play during his time in georgia and, and really uh of course and enjoyed that and, and was a great player and a lot of the earlier guys guys that played in the the late 80s early 90s uh, i have some some early memories of some of my earlier uh, earliest, I guess, uh, football memories, watching some of those guys. So uh, fun trip down memory lane, seeing some of those names. And, and interestingly enough, one of the coaches, Andy Talley, who was at uh, Villanova, um, uh, there's a book, and, and I don't I don't know if it was widely distributed or anything. I, I really just sort of happened upon it at a library once, and, and there was sort of a, you know, one of those – where somebody follows the team throughout the uh, throughout the year and just sort of writes about it. And, and uh, I remember reading that about a Villanova team, I want to say in the late 90s, early 2000s. I, I don't even remember, but I, I read it uh, while I was still in college. And, and uh, it was actually an influence into me deciding, you know, hey, I want to uh, take football more seriously and, and pursue you know coaching football and things like that so uh in a very roundabout way you know a guy that that was elected to the hall of fame today uh sort of sort of helped set me on a path to uh where we are today so you know, 
just kind of interesting for me just seeing that name. And Xavier knows none of these guys because he's so young. I know a lot. Xavier. <laughs> I know a good amount. Uh, my uncle played with Dickerson, so that's why uh, kind of my uh, connection to him. I know Couch because of his NFL days. Dorsey, same Crouch. reason. Crouch. I'm sorry. Did I say Couch? You did. Eric Couch? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Eric Crouch. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> You sure you know him? I mean. (laughs) (laughs) My bad. Uh, Obviously, David Pollock is the only one I got to watch. Yeah. The only one I remember watching. Um, Well, we didn't get to watch Steve McNair because he went to Alcorn State. So, I mean, you know. That was your loss. I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, I didn't get to watch him either. But, um, yeah, I mean, congratulations to these guys. Uh, as, as far as for Pollock is concerned, I got to meet him when I was in elementary school. And uh, he's just such a great guy um it was unfortunate to see what happened in his nfl career because i thought he would have been just as good as an nfl player as he was in college uh but you know to see what he's done on college football uh, and for espn has been really cool and has been kind of a um for me was a little bit of a kind of an inspiration that you know you can do it even if you don't ha- aren't completely successful in the sport that you play so yeah david pollock definitely a guy i uh, look up to in a sense so yeah, I mean, I just remember David Pollock really being like the big man on campus and all that stuff. I mean, you know, like I said, I was a bit young to watch Dickerson and McNair was at Alcorn State, so I don't re- really remember him. I do remember Eric Crouch's uh, Heisman run and all that stuff, but David Pollock really um, being big man on campus. I remember reading an ESPN the magazine article on him and uh, just talked about what a great duty is, and that neck injury was scary. You know, it was really scary. So uh, glad to see him thriving now. On the bad news side of things here, uh, more allegations in Michigan State's case. Uh, Former recruiting director Curtis Blackwell alleges that MSU taped rival practices, among other violations. So are we sure that Bill Belichick was not coaching at Michigan State, (laughs) Nick? I mean, this is uh, that that's some pretty damning allegations right there. Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly sounds like this isn't going to go away anytime soon, and and uh, I uh, don't know Mel Tucker's contract inside and out, but I saw you know some some uh, reporting to uh, that there is some language in there about if they get slapped with some sort of uh, NCAA violations, you know, uh, some sort of sanctions that um, he he will be compensated more so in, in that sort of situation. So uh, it's just kind of something in, in the background. I mean, we a lot of programs are, are doing uh, shady things sort of in the background, and we, we don't always uh, like to pay attention to it. And, and uh, you know, some of it doesn't necessarily even seem like a big deal necessarily, but I would say taping an opponent's practice is, is a pretty big deal, pretty shady. So, um, yeah, th- I, I imagine we'll hear, you know, more things. I, I don't think we've heard the last of uh, Curtis Blackwell or Mark D'Antonio or this Michigan State situation. Uh, Xavier, I mean, taping practices, unbelievably shady, like Nick just said, right? No, just let it happen. I mean, hey, <laughs> tape them. We're still gonna beat your butt on Saturday. Who cares? Like I, I, I'm, I'm getting sick of like the whole taping practices thing because to an extent at this point I'm like, you tape their practices, but you're also being shipped tape of their games anyways. So like unless they're going in and you're knowing everything they're gonna do, which 90% of coaches will tell you in practice they only do about 10% of the game plan throughout the week. It's whatever at this point. I just think it's sour grapes. I think uh, one person 
the last guy said something and now everybody from the former staff is like, yeah, I can go out about what I said too. So like, okay, if this won't be the last time we hear another former uh, staff member of Michigan state say something about the football program, it's just all going to go downhill in, a, in, a, in flames anyway. So we'll figure it out. But I don't, as far as filming practices is concerned, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but that's me. Hmm. Which means hmm. I would definitely film practices if I was a coach. I was I was gonna say, uh, <laughs> yeah. don't you have don't you work with cameras a bunch there? Oh, oh man, I'd have a GoPro on my chest and just walk around as a fan. I am not. Somebody I am wearing, somebody I, worn the uh, Sun Belt Conference. <laughs> Trust yeah, me, I, I, too far I, I'm I'm not accusing. I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm just surprised, but. Uh, you know, uh, updating what we talked about at the top of the show here, a lot of spring practices have either already happened or are getting scheduled and then canceled. Uh, but Coastal Carolina and Air Force uh, held their spring uh, games, and uh, they're all set. No major updates from either one of them. Uh, Arkansas State uh, is March 19th. Charlotte is March 21st. They're next up for their spring game. Cincinnati canceled. Kent State canceled. And uh, apparently two Tulsa players have been quarantined as a precaution. Uh, they might just have the regular flu, though. I don't know that there's been any reported cases in Oklahoma, but it's kind of tough to... It's spreading so fast, it's kind of tough to keep up with all of the cases and stuff like that. So, uh, what, what I saw with that one, apparently uh, one, of the, one of the players had a family member who uh, was in Italy, came back, and, and has been tested. I'm not sure if it was... Uh, for sure a positive or what but so that that player and and his roommate apparently uh are are quarantined at the moment but yeah hopefully just as a precaution yeah so uh we'll see about that but uh we're gonna talk about uh notre dame and, and then we're gonna talk about uh our we're gonna do our first year head coach draft so let's uh let's talk about notre dame here nick and uh, pretty good squad last year. Uh, they were 11 and two. They lost, I think their bowl game. And the only other game they lost was to Michigan, right? Uh, Michigan and Georgia. They and, lost, oh, they, they beat, lost to Georgia. I forgot. Yeah. So, they um, beat, uh, Ohio State pretty, pretty well. Actually, I, I, uh, rewatched it, uh, last week. Uh, I was, I was pretty impressed with Notre Dame, particularly in the, in the second half, pretty much after that. Michigan loss because they they looked good early against USC and then USC came back and, and really gave them a scare at mm-hmm. the end and then Michigan just you know two weeks later after an off week just just blew them out they were uh, they were a little sluggish against Virginia Tech the the following week but then they just started to sort of really pick up steam and it's not like the the second half of the schedule was all that great I mean Duke Navy. Maybe had a really really good year, but Notre Dame uh, blew them out. It did, played played really really well against Navy, but you know Boston College wasn't necessarily at its uh, best at the end of the season. Stanford, of course, it had so many issues. I was pretty impressed with the bowl game against Iowa State, but I also try not to put too much uh, you know emphasis on on bowls just in in general. But I remember. Uh, you know, reading things and, and writing about Ian Book a little bit in the uh, early season, and he just feasted on uh, some weak uh, G5 opponents. I mean, New Mexico, Bowling Green just had huge, huge games, but didn't play particularly well against 
uh, a lot of their tougher or you know power five opponents. But I, I think he showed some progress uh, over the the course of the the season and, and in the second half looked pretty good and and did some good things. Uh, in addition to you know passing, did did some good things on the ground as well. So uh, thought he showed some some growth. Shot uh, thought uh, was pretty impressed with uh, Notre Dame's improvement overall in the second half of the season. Um, and, you know, hopefully gives them some momentum heading into uh, 2020, which should be a really interesting year. Yeah, and uh, Xavier, I'm looking at their schedule, and like Nick said, they, they pounded some of these uh, lower teams. They beat New Mexico 66-14. to They beat Bowling Green 52-zip. Uh, they beat uh, Boston College 40-7. to uh, but they they struggled a little bit, obviously losing to Georgia, uh, getting beat beat down by Michigan, forty five yeah. to fourteen. Uh, but you know USC made it close. They beat Vatek by a point, um, and they let Stanford, who was kind of bad this year, score twenty four points. So uh, you know, not a bad year by any stretch of the imagination. They were a great team. But, um, you know, seeing what they've done recently and what we expected with Ian Book becoming the quarterback here, a little bit of a letdown this season, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, To kind of piggyback off of what Nick was saying, I thought Ian Book, um, well, okay, start off with my pleasant surprises. Actually, Chase Claypool was one of my pleasant surprises coming Mm -hmm. into the year. You know, he goes from 50 receptions, 639 yards and four touchdowns in 2018 to exploding for 66 receptions. Uh, 1,037 yards and 13 touchdowns in 2019. Um, this is a guy who, and now coming back for his senior year, who knows what he's capable of. Uh, oh, sorry, not no, coming, I'm sorry, but graduating and going up to the draft. I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, Chase Claypool was my pleasant surprise. He was a monster. Um, he was my biggest worry when we played, when he played Georgia earlier in the year, that he was just going to take our uh, smaller secondary for granted and, you know, stump all over them. Luckily that didn't happen, but my biggest disappointment for last year was actually Ian Book. I thought that in big games last year, he just didn't, you know, give me that confidence. If I was a fan of Notre Dame going into big games, I just didn't have that confidence with him. Um, When you look at his QBR, his lowest QBRs last year were against number 19, Michigan, number 18, UVA, and um, Virginia Tech. And then after that, you've got uh, Georgia and being number three. So that's four power five teams where he had his lowest QBR all year. Um, he had a bulk of his interceptions in, in power five games as well with six, with all six of his interceptions coming against Duke, Virginia Tech and UGA last year. So like for me, Ian Book, although his stats look great with 34 touchdowns, 3000 yards, he just didn't play well. Uh, against some of those bigger names and against some of those Power 5 teams. And when you look at their schedule going into 2020, that doesn't bode well, but we'll get to that in just a second. Um, Another thought for me is finally join a conference, please, (laughs) Notre Dame. It's about time. Like, I understand that you guys have your TV deal with NBC, and that's a really big reason as to why you haven't left uh, to join a conference like the ACC. But year in and year out, they get away with playing teams like Bowling Green and New Mexico instead of switching those games out for possibly a Clemson or if they were in the ACC, a possible Florida State, which will be big-time matchups, huge games every single season that we can look forward to. And as I talked about last week in the ACC being such like a, a, a dismal conference, putting in a juggernaut that is Notre Dame would just bolster the ACC as a whole. So Notre Dame, can we please join a conference? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think it's ever going to happen. They make too much no. money. It's um, a pipe dream. The, the the schedule this year though, Nick. I mean, and and you mentioned it before. Uh, Ian Book's coming back. I think uh, how many starters did we say they have coming back on offense? Uh, is it seven? Uh, yeah, seven on offense and five on defense. So, yes. uh, but the schedule this this year looks a little tougher. I mean, they're on the road against Wisconsin. Uh, they've got Clemson. It is at home, but they got Clemson, and then they end the year at USC. So. Uh, what are your thoughts on the 2020 Fighting Irish? Well, uh, the schedule is is certainly something that jumps out. I mean, they, they open the season in Ireland, which is uh, unique, of course. They uh, they play – that is uh, obviously a neutral site. And we'll call that a maybe way- right now, right? Well, right, yeah. They play Wake Forest in Charlotte, so it's it's – on the road, uh, technically, but uh, you know it, it, they play at the the NFL stadium there, not at not in uh, Winston Salem. Uh, the Wisconsin game is actually going to be in Green Bay, so it's you know you think okay on paper that's should be a Wisconsin uh, home uh, field advantage type situation, but you know Notre Dame's fans are are one just spread out anyway, all all over the place. Uh, two, that's such a unique. Uh, situation you would expect that that you know there will be quite a, a few Notre Dame fans as well that would neutralize you know perhaps what we would typically think of as a uh, home field advantage and, and Georgia Tech they play in Atlanta but they do not play at Bobby Dodd Stadium they'll be playing at uh, Mercedes Benz so uh, it, it really interesting that they only actually travel to two opponents' home fields one of which you mentioned USC and then they play. At Pitt, which you know is a sort of a, a generic NFL stadium, not necessarily what you expect as, as How the biggest. Dare you? Uh, for, on Saturday. On wow. Saturdays, uh, you know, if if they were playing the if they were playing the Steelers, that might be different. But they're playing uh, Pitt. So, All right, nice recovery. It's okay. not always the, the <laughs> most raucous environment on a Saturday. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a very interesting schedule. I mean, the game with Clemson, of course, is going to jump out uh, to anybody. Um, Arkansas early in the season is, is perhaps a, a sneaky, interesting game because Arkansas will be very different, you know, a very different looking team this year than last. And, and uh, we know that Arkansas is talented regardless of how many games they've lost the last couple of years. Uh, so th- there will be interesting matchups and, and, you know, there is no New Mexico, there is no Bowling Green, even, you know, Western Michigan is, is probably the weakest non-conference opponent. They went to a bowl game last year and then mm-hmm. are one of the more talented teams in the Mac. So it's, it's an interesting schedule for sure. And, and should have a lot of, uh, you know, games that they get people really excited to, to see. I, I was, Really, I, I mentioned it before, just as Notre Dame's come up in conversation uh, in bits and pieces the last few weeks, but uh, I expected that our numbers would be very, very high on Notre Dame entering 2020, and, and they're they're pretty high. We have them ranked ninth in our most recent updates. Um, uh, so, you know, we, we only right now have uh, – they only play one team – that is ranked higher, and that's Clemson, who's our number two team. So uh, we would expect Notre Dame to be favored in double-digit games, uh, especially without having to go to 
uh, you know, very many true road tests. Uh, quarterback, I think Ian Book is is a a plus. I think he's uh, probably a top ten quarterback in college football entering the season. Uh, if things break right and, and Notre Dame goes, you know, eleven and one, which is which is possible. Uh, maybe he plays well enough to to get some Heisman consideration. They they rank really highly on the line of scrimmage. They have our third rated offensive line at the moment and, and a top ten defensive line. So uh, there's really no major weakness. They are inexperienced at wide receiver. Um, cornerback is is perhaps a, a little bit of a, an issue. And, and, you know, you don't want to take too much from uh, reports out of spring, especially so early. But there have been some rumblings that uh, the corners haven't looked great in, in early practices. And uh, they've had some injuries there as well and some inexperience. The, the secondary is pretty young overall because they lost uh, Aloe Gilman uh, to the NFL draft early and, and uh, also had some some graduation as well. But uh, overall, I mean, th- there's not a, a true, true weakness. They're going to need some uh, playmakers to step up. They're going to need to solidify running back position, uh, wide receiver. They're going to need a, a playmaker to step up and replace uh, Chase Claypool, who I agree completely uh, with Xavier was, was uh, uh, a, a huge, huge asset, especially in that second half of the season. I mean, physically, uh, Chase Claypool was just uh, a matchup problem for a lot of teams. And, and similarly, tight end Cole Komet, who left early, um, mm, yes. an athletic tight end capable of making some big plays in the passing game. So they're they're hoping, uh, and I've heard some good things that uh, about Kevin Austin, who was suspended all of last year, uh, that he's looking good early in the spring. Tommy Trimble uh, started seven games at tight end last year. They got a, a very experienced transfer from Northwestern, Bennett uh, Skwernik. I probably messed that up. I apologize. But uh, started 27 games, very experienced uh, over four years at Northwestern, but was injured last year. So uh, if, if some guys step up, you know, Jafar Armstrong has shown flashes at running back and, and does have some receiving skills out of the backfield. And I've heard really, really uh, good things, some some exciting things about uh, Chris Tyree, the true freshman, his playmaking ability. So when he gets uh, on campus and, and enters the mix, you know, hopefully he can be a dynamic instant impact kind of guy but uh long story long story short notre dame is is uh is good they'll be good they're a top 10 team from a team strength standpoint if they can stay healthy you know the offensive line i said was the third rated unit but uh, they've got three guys who missed some significant time so um if they stay healthy they've got the talent to to put up 10 wins or more and if things break just right uh maybe they're a, a you know, playoff contender, uh, and they they arguably are Clemson's toughest opponent. Uh, probably not even arguably. I don't they, think that's arguable. They, yeah, they're they're Clemson's toughest opponent. So you know, there's a chance maybe they they would be able to pull off a an upset there. Uh, you know, at home against uh, Clemson. So uh, I think that that Notre Dame has you know the sky's the limit. They they certainly have some questions, but. Uh, they're going to be a really good team and, and capable of knocking off anybody in, in, in any week, I think. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, the path to the playoff is uh, clear for this team. They beat Wisconsin and beat Notre Dame. seems like they're going to uh, beat everybody else, and they're in. Uh, do you think they can do it? No. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that they'll get over the hump against Wisconsin. I think 
one of the biggest things for me going into this year is the the maturation of Ian Book and can he do it? And I know it's not specifically a home game for Wisconsin, but it's in Green Bay. It might as well be. Um, can he go to Wisconsin and win that game um, against a Wisconsin team who we talked about, you know, in the Big Ten preview, how good that defense was last year? And they bring back just as much talent from that defense as they did then. You know, we talked they bring back eight starters from that defense. And that was the best defense statistically that Ohio State played all year until Clemson in the PFF uh, I'm sorry, in the CFB, uh, CFB um, conference or the CFB playoff game. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, <laughs> I knew you would get, I get it. Out. Uh, and so I think that Wisconsin defense is going to be really something that we have to look forward to for Notre Dame. If, if they win that game, they really will have an opportunity, in my opinion, to, to make it all the way. Um, it's going to be really tough for them this year to say that with one loss, I think with their schedule, with one loss, they have an argument. As opposed to last year, I think they had a lot of bottom feeders. It was kind of tough for them to say, you know, that they could get in with a one loss. But this year, if they were to lose to Clemson and that's it, I don't see why not. Uh, They'll play a USC team that we all think can win the Pac-12 outside of uh, Oregon going into next year. So if they were to beat them at the end of the season two, depending on where USC is ranked at that point, I think that gives them a big time win as well. Um, So I think if Notre Dame can beat Clemson, uh, can beat Wisconsin. That's the game I'm circling for them. Then they have an opportunity. I just don't see it happening with them on the road um, against that defense. And I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because that game's not till October, but just looking at it, you know, from this perspective, I don't see that happening. And also we have to think about the Clemson game, how bad or good will that loss be depending on how well they play. If they go to and get blown out by Clemson at home by 30, that's going to hurt them a lot more in the uh, voters' eyes than if they were to stay with Clemson all game and lose by like 10 like they did this year against uh, this past year against Georgia when they went on the road and only lost by uh, and they lost by less than a touchdown. So I think those things have to come into play with Notre Dame because obviously you feel like they'll run the table everywhere else and 10 wins is almost a formality for them. Uh, so that Wisconsin game is the one I'm circling and we'll just have to see. Yeah, and I probably should have thrown in uh, USC in that equation as well. I just, you know... They haven't been the same USC that I remember uh, from growing up recently, but they are going to be uh, pretty damn good this year. But uh, that uh, anything else on Notre Dame, Nick? Or are we done with them? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think the schedule situation, again, is just very interesting. I mean, uh, it, it seems like every other year they play a lot of these neutral site games. And I understand why they do it. It's always a little bit strange. I mean, they played at, you know, Yankee Stadium. They've played it mm-hmm. uh, they, in, in Ireland. They're going this year, hopefully. And, and so uh, it's just it's it's very interesting. Uh, but they've got some big names on, on the schedule this year. Uh, those big three, I mean, like we've mentioned, Wisconsin, Clemson, USC uh, should be a lot of fun. And uh, I, I am, I think, uh, on the Notre Dame hype train a little bit and, and see them probably on the short list of uh, playoff contenders. I mean, I, you know, they're a top 10 team, but I think the schedule sets up relatively well for a 10-win season. And, and if they can, uh, you know, win 11 with a loss to Clemson, that's probably good enough to get them in. It's just, you know, will they will they be able to take care of business uh, against Wisconsin, USC, and then everybody else they're supposed to be? All right, so let's go to the first year coach draft, and we got twenty head coaches heading into uh, twenty twenty as their first season as uh, a head coach with this team. 
So, Nick, why don't you kind of break down the rules of this game? Yeah, so this was inspired by one of my favorite uh, baseball podcasts, uh, Effectively Wild. They uh, Every offseason do a draft of guys who are non-roster invitees to spring training. So it's just kind of a, you know, guys that most people don't even really think about. But uh, early in the offseason, they, they draft them. They, you know, keep a, a list uh, of you know, their teams, quote unquote, and and just at the end of the year, uh, see who uh, drafted the, the guys that contributed the most at the major league level. And, and I sort of took that idea and adapted it for uh, head coaches, first year head coaches, because a lot of these guys are unknowns. I mean, uh, there are 26 guys in our in our pool here, and almost half of them are first time head coaches. So uh, first of all, you know, the, the first year for any head coach is always uh, a bit of a learning curve and, and you never know if somebody's going to be able to come in and have an instant impact or if they're going to have to, you know, clean up some uh, personnel issues or, or discipline issues or, or whatever. And, and we've seen more and more recently, you know, where a year zero situation where come, uh, things get worse before they get better. So I thought what we would do is draft uh, one, you know, who's, who's going to, uh, win the most games, but then also to, to add sort of a different, uh, layer to it, uh, you're going to get bonus points if that team wins more games than they, uh, had last year. So if that coach actually, you know, the uh, changing coaches actually does lead to, uh, more wins than, than the previous year and subtract points if, uh, the team gets worse. So uh, what we decided to do is is uh, every every coach that we draft, uh, we will get credit one point for every uh, win that team earns in 2020. And then once they meet their 2019 record, uh, every win above that, they will get two points. Uh, and if they fail to meet that 2019 record in wins, uh, every one Below that, we will subtract a point. So, uh, for instance, Willie Taggart, former, former Florida State head coach, he's now the head coach at FAU. FAU last year went 11 and 2. So, if Willie Taggart leads FAU to 11 wins in 2020, uh, we whoever drafts Willie Taggart would end the season with 11 points. You know, Taggart would contribute 11 points. If they uh, go 12 and 2, and then the person that drafted Taggart would get 13 points. So 11 for uh, the wins up to 11 and then two extra points for that extra win. If they go eight and five, they only get, we would only get five points because we would subtract one point from every, uh, for, for every loss that, that, uh, or excuse me, every, every win that they failed to get. So hopefully people can follow that. We'll, we'll, uh, tally all, all of it up at the end of the year, but uh, figured we'd, we'd go around. The three of us would take turns drafting and spend maybe, you know, a minute to 90 seconds. I'll try to try to keep things short uh, <laughs> and, and just sort of explain our thought process as, as we're building our teams. But uh, there are 26 guys. There are three of us. So we're going to end up uh, with two guys that are undrafted, but we'll have teams of, uh, what is that? Three times eight, right? So we'll have we'll have eight teams, uh, and we'll we'll look back at it at the end of the year after all the bowl games, and and uh, see who's got. 
bragging rights and, and maybe we'll figure out something else to put on the line as well. All right. So uh, we're doing age before beauty here. So that means I go first. And because yes. uh, I, I am the oldest, uh, I think I got nicked by a couple months. So um, for me, this is kind of the easiest number one overall pick that I've had because I've been doing a ton of drafts recently with all the baseball going down, uh, you know, right now. So, but I haven't drawn number one anywhere. So, uh, this number one is easy. It's Mike Norvell for me from Florida state. Uh, obviously turning around, uh, Memphis, uh, a, a ton and they were, they have so much talent on this squad and they were six and seven last year. I think I'm in line for bonus wins, uh, I'm, I think I'm in line for uh, possibly 10 wins uh, for Florida State. I haven't looked at the schedule yet, but this one this one seems like a pretty easy number one overall pick. So maybe I'm mistaken about that. Uh, Nick, you are up now. And then uh, Xavier goes for two because we snake. Yeah, and, and Norvell was first on my uh, draft board. So wow. uh, I think that that was a, a good pick. I mean, he's the highest rated Coach uh, has an 87 plus rating, uh, so the the highest available, just a, just ahead of Mike Leach. Uh, so I, I think it's a good pick, and, and you know Florida State, according to our numbers, is the second most talented team in the ACC. So uh, I agree with you. I am surprised. I, I'm surprised how my draft board shook out because I, I had Norvell, and then I, I didn't want to put this person <laughs> number two. Uh, but I just, I think, I think it's, it makes the most sense. So this team went four and eight last year, um, three and five in conference. And, uh, there, there are more wins on the schedule. This is the second most talented team in the conference. According to our numbers, as far as offensive talent, it is the most talented team in the mountain West conference. I'm not a huge believer Ooh. in Steve Adazio. But I believe that there's room <laughs> for improvement. I think that Colorado State uh, has a team that, that should get to a bowl game. So I'm looking for some bonus points, looking for six, seven, eight wins. Uh, they're going to have a talent advantage more often than not in conference play. So my pick is, uh, surprisingly to me, Steve Adazio. <laughs> Wow, Steve Adazio going too. Uh, I probably, could, I probably could have held off. I, I probably could have got him. Yeah, you could have. So yep. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, you, see, and this is what we uh, call uh, knowing your your uh, knowing your draft board here. So uh, Steve Adazio probably could have slipped to the third or fourth round, but uh, number one overall pick. You got to make sure you get your guys. That's uh, right. You know, he's gonna he's gonna be the most points out there when Colorado State wins ten games. You know, that's gonna give me. That's going to give me 12 bonus points. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. I, I, you know, I couldn't take a chance. Right. Uh, Xavier, up for two good picks. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> when Nick said four and eight, I started sweating a little bit because my number one pick, um, if you've it. heard me in this podcast, it's pretty obvious. I'm going with Lane. Damn. I just, yeah, I just think, you know, as Nick said, there's more wins in it this year. I've gone through their schedule a couple times. Southeastern Missouri win Vanderbilt win Connecticut win Mississippi State I've got them winning that one and Georgia Southern that's just five right there uh, not to mention that they still also play Arkansas next year so at bare minimum we've got six wins and if they're able to you know upset a couple of teams here that you know they might get it done I really liked the way that they were playing down the stretch 
in some of their matchups. Obviously, they gave LSU uh, a shootout down the stretch. Um, they lost a heartbreaker to Mississippi State. I think that, you know, I like their quarterback situation. I like Plumlee a lot. I think coming into this next year, he's going to have an opportunity to really take the team over. Um, splitting time with Matt Corral last year, I think he, as being the full-time starter, he's going to make that work. Um, moving on to my number four pick, and this one uh, actually is a, because of a previous episode that we did where I gave this team a lot of credit. Uh, I didn't say it in the next time when we re-recorded, but I'm going to go with Greg Ciano at Rutgers. <laughs> uh, you know, once again, two wins. Do I think Rutgers can get me more than two wins? Yes. I- I'm going to go out on the limb there. I think they can do it. You know, they've got Monmouth to start off the year, so that's a win already. Uh, I think, you know, and then they've got Syracuse and Temple. They might be able to start the season off 3-0 before they see Ohio State. You know, I think Greg Ciano is going to try to do everything he can to renew the uh, – the vigor that they had when he left. Um, he's a, you know, he's the last winning coach at Rutgers, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that they are going to have a, a little bit of a resurgence this year. That might only mean five wins or four wins, but Hey, it's more than what they had last year and points are points. All right, Nick, uh, your second pick, who's it going to be? All right. So I'm, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do. Uh, there, there's somebody that's, uh, you know, I'm, 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 Maybe I will make a, a different type of mistake. I don't know, but there's somebody I, I'm a, I, I think might drop a couple of more picks, so I'm I'm gonna wait. <laughs> and I am uh, I think I, I I've got to go with Ryan Sil- Silverfield at Memphis. So it's it's risky. Memphis won 12 games last year, so I, I could certainly be in a situation where I get docked points you know if they come up short they end up uh not making the conference championship game not winning a bowl game you know maybe this is just a 10-win team but memphis and i'm always gonna to you know side with our numbers uh memphis is uh, our our second rated team in the american ucf is our our early conference favorite but memphis has the uh, most roster strength this is a top 25 roster that Memphis has a quarterback position uh, is a, an obvious strength. They're a top 20 offense. This is the most talented defense in the American. The, the only drawback, the only reason Memphis is behind UCF is because a uh, first time head coach. And so I'm going to try not to let that scare me off. Uh, that's something that, you know, if we were doing this last year, I would have been very skeptical of Eli Drinkwitz at, at App State. And I think this is sort of a similar situation. I think Silverfield is coming in, one, even better than Drinkwitz because he was on staff last year. So there's some continuity there. They're going to continue doing a lot of things that they were so successful last year. But I I think Memphis, I think this is a team I might not get bonus points. It's probably not a a 14-win team, a 13-win team. But I think it's an easy double-digit win team. Uh, I think I've got double-digit points coming my way with uh, Ryan Silverfield promoted to replace Mike Norvell at Memphis. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of the same that you did, but I'm going to take a risk first. And I don't like this guy. Everybody knows that I've never really been a fan of him. Uh, but Mike Leach going to Mississippi State. Mm. That it, This one is super risky because... Uh, I don't know that they have his personnel. It might be a disappointing year for him, but I'm going to go with Mike Leach as my uh, second-round pick and my third-round pick, first pick in the third round. I'm going to go with Sean Clark, kind of the same 
type of a decision that um, that Nick just made where I'm going high wins because I want, you know, I'll just take those points. If they get to 13 wins again, great. Uh, if they get to 12 wins, at least I'm still getting, you know, uh, I guess I'd be 11 points because I'd be minus one. But uh, that's still 11 points. So uh, yeah. I, I'm going to take my risk with Sean Clark and then uh, add Mike Leach as well. So it would be back on you, Nick. Yeah, and, and just real quick, you just have to hope that App State doesn't go like eight and five or something. Yeah, that would be uh, bad. because that that could that could sink you. That'd be ten uh, a Ooh. ten point deduction deduction there. So uh, risky, but yeah, I think I think App State. You know, they're they're our highest rated Sun Belt team. Should you know win the Sun Belt again? Should get double digits. So I think that's. I agree. I think that's a good pick. All right, my guy dropped. He dropped. <laughs> Fortunately. Okay, and and he probably was gonna probably was gonna drop again because I'm not sure Xavier has ever even heard his name. Uh, but uh, Danny Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this one is is kind of the complete opposite of Ryan Silverfield because uh, New Mexico is our lowest rated team in the Mountain West overall, lowest rated. Roster strength, lowest rated offensive roster strength, defensive roster strength. Uh, they were, uh, you know, in the triple digits in basically every category that we track from a team performance standpoint. So uh, in in a lot of ways, this is a can't go anywhere but up with New Mexico. <laughs> and they went t- two and ten last year. So there's room for improvement. They win three games, and I've, I've got a couple of bonus points there. But I was looking at the schedule. They play Idaho State, the FCS, who, if memory serves, is, is not a horrible FCS team, but you know, still should be a winnable game. They play a couple of Power 5 teams, Mississippi State, USC on the road. Don't expect those. But arch rival, New Mexico State, that's winnable. They play UMass this year. Uh. And then in the Mountain West, I mean, you know, they they, they do play. Uh, they're probably not going to beat Boise State, Air Force, Wyoming. You know, I, I already picked uh, Colorado State, so I, I expect that, that the Rams would win that one. But I do see some other toss-ups. I, I, I don't know that uh, San Jose State really has it in them to take a big step forward. I wasn't a believer in Nevada last year. I, I think there are some toss-up games, and I'm hoping – that Danny Gonzalez, uh, defensive prowess, will get that team turned around a little bit. They'll take care of business in the games they should win, Idaho State, New Mexico State, UMass, uh, and, and then upset one or two others. Get me five wins, I'll feel good about Danny Gonzalez at uh, the eighth pick. Xavier, were you going to take Danny Gonzalez? No, I wasn't, but he <laughs> named somebody earlier that I was worried he would take here, um, and that's going to be Elijah Drinkwitz. I like him at Missouri. I think that, you know, there's a team that went 6-6 six and six last year, but had some head scratchers in there. You know, they lost to Vandy um, last year. They also lost to a Tennessee team that we all thought was, you know, their season was over at the beginning of the year, but rallied towards the end there. But other than that, they handled business against Mississippi. They handled, you know, they, they really smacked South Carolina last year. They, they, beat, uh, they beat up on the smaller teams like Troy, like West Virginia, like Southeastern Missouri. And we look at their schedule this year. They play Central Arkansas. They play Eastern Michigan. You know, they do play Vanderbilt again, and this time at home. They get Kentucky at home. They get um, Louisiana Lafayette at home and Arkansas at home to end the year. This is a team that, based purely on schedule, has eight wins in it. Um, You know, and then they they don't 
get one of the tougher teams from the West either. Their West opponent this year is Mississippi State. And we just talked earlier about how Mike Leach and his system may not be able to carry over in year one. So that's still a very winnable game. You look at their schedule and you only think maybe Georgia, Florida, and maybe Kentucky would be the games and possibly Tennessee would be the games that, you know, they'd all lose. And they still finish with eight wins in that regard, giving them two more wins than they had last year. And as well as a bowl game um, on top of that in uh, Drinkwood's first year. So that in its own right, I think gives them, gives me hope, you know, and after watching Drinkwood's at App State for a year, I really like this move for them. And I think that ultimately it's going to uh, bode well for them going into his year one. All right, Nick, who's your uh, who's your fourth? Well, Xavier. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm yeah. sorry. Snake. I'm trying to skip you. I'm trying to get to my pick. I'm sorry. It's cool. We're, <laughs> staying, we're staying in the SEC here. Uh, I'm going to go with the Georgia boy or former Georgia boy. I'm going to go with Sam Pittman. Uh, two and ten record last year. I see them winning more than two wins this year. Um, when you look at their team and you look at their roster, I just don't see them being – there's no way. There's absolutely no way they go 2-10 and 10 again. If they do, he'll be out of a job in my personal opinion. Um, you know, they have eight returning starters on offense, six returning starters on defense. They don't bring back their starting quarterback, but that might not be a bad thing. Um, when you look at us, and obviously we have to look going to the future, so you look at schedule. They've got Nevada, Charleston Southern, Louisiana Monroe. Those are going to be games that I'm looking to for them to win. And I know I only named three, but three is more than two last time I checked. So we're going to go with Sam Pittman. <laughs> uh, all right, Nick, now you're up. My, my bad. So I, I was a little bit nervous that uh, Xavier was going to take this guy because I know he has uh, a little bit of history with this program. Uh, I really like the Jimmy Lake hire at Washington. I, I think that Washington is – uh, one, they underachieved last year. I mean, they, they were uh, a team that finished in our top 20 in our final uh, team strength ratings despite going 8-5 and five and, and a losing record in the Pac-12. Uh, I think Washington was a better team than, they, you know, than their final record showed last year. And I know that they've got uh, some questions. I mean, they, they've got turnover again at the quarterback position. They lost a couple of guys, a couple of playmakers early to the NFL draft, running back, tight end. Uh, of course, you know, offensive line, they, they lost uh, a bit as well. But this is a team that ranks 23rd in overall roster strength. They're a top 30 uh, offense from a roster strength standpoint and, uh, and ranked 21st in uh, our defensive ratings. So uh, right now they're they're only fourth in the Pac-12, but uh, I, I think they've got a chance. I, I think they will put up a good fight in the Pac-12 North. I think that they can easily match uh, eight wins from last year. And they've got some tough ones on the schedule. I mean, Michigan and non-conference is certainly uh, going to be difficult. They have to go to Oregon, which is, of course, never easy. And then in a crossover, they've got to go to Utah, which, you know, Utah, of course, uh, loses a lot, but but a, a strong program, one of our highest rated head coaches. In, and then, of course, go to USC. So the schedule's tough. I mean, the, the crossover is not great. The off, uh, the, the out-of-conference uh, matchup with Michigan is is not great, but I still see this as an eight win team. I think that they you know will be favored in at least eight wins. I think they have an opportunity uh, to upset you know maybe one of those uh, trickier opponents. So uh, I, I like Jimmy Lake. Think he's going to do some things to maybe modernize a little bit on offense and, and keep them playing really really solid defense. So uh, give me the give me the Huskies. Give me Jimmy Lake. All right, I'm going to go. Um 
one all upside pick. And give me Ricky Rain from Old Dominion. Oh um, my! Sorry, but <laughs> I thought he was, thought <laughs> he was gonna fall. They were one in eleven last year, and he, he probably should fall. But I mean. If they get one win uh, again, I mean, I, I feel like I can't lose points. I mean, if they go over, I can lose points, but I feel like I can't lose points. It's all upside. So I like Ricky Rain and Old Dominion. And then on the other end, uh, I'm going to take Brady Hoke from San Diego State. Uh, they were 10-3 and three last year. I think they should be able to equal that, especially with a coach that actually wants to be there. Uh, and yeah. the schedule isn't too tough. They do play UCLA. I think they go on the road to BYU and on the road to Wyoming. Those are some rough games. But other than that, I feel like the schedule is fairly favorable for San Diego State. So uh, I, I like Brady Hoke as well. So uh, Ricky Rain and Brady Hoke for me. And now back to Nick. All right, so I I think that uh, similarly a program that underachieved last year had a uh, pretty highly rated defense according to our numbers, had a uh, highly rated head coach according to our numbers, and and so we missed uh, we missed a lot on Fresno State last year. Uh, but uh, Kalen DeBoer had a, a good year away at Indiana, has some uh, experience with. This roster was the offensive coordinator in 2018. Uh, I think Fresno State, again, was better than their record. I think there's certainly some opportunity uh, to improve. Uh, and and the, the schedule is not easy, but I, I think that there are uh, – I think, I think this is a bowl team. You know, I, I, they also play Idaho State. They do have to play uh, Colorado and, and, you know, the, the – uh, uh, Texas A&M in, in non-conference, not easy, but they do at least get New Mexico State, an FCS opponent. Uh, a lot of toss-ups in the Mountain West. I, I think that uh, Fresno State should get back to uh, a bowl game next year and, and think that that'll give me a couple bonus points. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, Fresno State. Xavier? Yeah, um, this is going to be kind of my first on Olympic, um, and it's going to be Mel Tucker. I think that Michigan State, you know, they let me down last year. I had them winning the Big Ten. Um, and I guess this is me going out on a limb with them this year. Uh, in, in, in a way, I, I think that Mel Tucker can't do worse than 6-6. Six and six. Uh, I think that when you look at the fact that they're still one of the more talented teams in the conference, they still, I think, are better than teams like Indiana, uh, Maryland, and Rutgers inside their own division. And then you've got teams like Michigan who don't return many starters uh, from one of their at least they, they finished nine and three last year, but still a, almost a 10 win team the entire time that that class was there. Um, they lose a lot of talent, especially offensively. That means a lot of their division is a toss up. The only two games I think that they're destined to lose in their division is Penn State and Ohio State. And you never really know uh, with those rivalries how they'll end up. Um, when you look at the rest of what Michigan State would have to deal with, we already talked about how the West is a toss up. And I think Michigan State has an opportunity here. I think Mel Tucker will, you know, ride the ship first off. And I think that he's going to make Michigan State back to the defensive juggernaut that they will, that they were and focus more so on that side of the ball where they kind of struggled. I mean, they gave up one of the greatest comebacks ever to Illinois last year. I don't see anything like that happening this year. I think uh, defensively they're going to be better. They're going to be at least more sound because of Mel Tucker. And six wins, I think they'll do more than that. I've got, I've got them with eight wins this year, so I think that's where they're going to be. Um, going on to my – it'll be number 16 pick. And this one I'm really scared about making because mm -hmm. it's the only 
it, it's one of you know three guys on this list, or one of uh, four or five guys on this list who have double digit wins, and it's Willie Taggart. Uh, <laughs> and I really, I like Taggart, but more so than anything, I don't think he'll mess it up. I think FAU, uh, and more importantly for FAU, they don't play any big names outside of their uh, in the P5 this year. They play Minnesota to start off the year, uh, but we talked about how much talent Minnesota loses on defense voting well for Florida Atlantic. Um, other than that, they play Stony Brook and Georgia Southern before they head and uh, play all conference games after that. I think Florida Atlantic is the best team far and away in that conference. And without having any big time power five games outside of it, bodes well for them to have a year where they run the table and they finish with, you know, 12 wins and possibly go undefeated. I think they have the opportunity to do that. Willie Taggart, we have to remember, he's been in Florida for a while. He has the respect of a lot of those kids because he was at Florida State anyways. And I think this is going to be a nice bounce back year for him to show the rest of college football that he's not completely incompetent. So I'm going to go with Willie Taggart here. I, I like that pick. I, FAU is the most talented team in Conference USA. Uh, uh, it might be difficult to get to 11 wins, but I don't think they're going to fall much. You know, I don't. I don't think they're going to fall far short of that. So uh, I, I like. I like that pick. I, I'm. I'm a little bit nervous about this. <laughs> uh, there are some questions at the quarterback position, uh, but uh, you know, this this guy's coached some good quarterbacks before. Had some had some good uh, teams. Sort of, you know, found some quarterbacks. Uh, basically, you know, lying on the beach, former volleyball player types. Uh, I think Nick Rolovich at uh, Washington State is uh, somebody that, that I don't necessarily expect Washington State to, to surpass last year's win total, but I think they're I think they've got a team that will contend for a bowl game, and and you know, a lot of their toughest opponents are at home. They play Washington, Oregon, Arizona State, Utah. Cal all at home, uh, road trip to Colorado. That's a decent crossover with the South. Uh, you know, Stanford is is uh, basically you know they've been playing under coronavirus restrictions for years uh, <laughs> with the, the stadium there. So uh, they've got Idaho on the schedule. You know, Utah State's a, a beatable team and somebody that he's familiar with from uh, his days at Hawaii. So I think Washington State. You know, I'm I'm a little on the fence as far as their actual. Uh, overall projection, but I, I don't think that they're going to just fall off a cliff. And, and I think he's got a lot uh, enough to work with and has a good track record of getting guys ready to play. So uh, Nick Rolovich, uh, probably a steal at pick 17, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, Rol yeah. Rolovich was going to be my next pick for sure. I was going to do the same doubling up of risk and uh, high wins expectations with Rolovich and somebody else, but uh, I think, man, we're getting into all dart throws at this point. <laughs> and for me, I'm going to go with Jeff Scott at uh, USF with South Florida. There's just too many good athletes that come out of South Florida uh, for <laughs> USF to be winning four games and two in the conference. So I'm going to go with him. And, oh, God, I don't want <laughs> any of the rest of these guys. Um <laughs> Give me Carl Durrell uh, uh, for Colorado. Uh, tough situation he's come in, uh, come into, but they only won five games last year. I think Colorado is usually better than three and six in the Pac-12. There are definitely some winnable games this year for them, so I I'll take uh, the Colorado head coach as well. All right. I like it. Uh, I... <laughs> 
having the same tough time that I am. Well, well, so I I probably still could have gotten Steve Adazio at this point. Yes, you could. Uh, (laughs) But so, so now I'm, I'm, I'm uh, a little worried that the guy on my, uh, the highest on my draft board, maybe I can get him at 23. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here. I don't see this team matching double digit wins again. I, I just, everything sort of came together, clicked mm. last year. Uh, but I, I, it's only you know, one of two guys. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, who's he going with? I think, I think that, you know, they've got tons of losses on the defensive side, but uh, Dave Aranda's got a, a strong track record defensively. I think Baylor not going to win 11 games, but I don't think that they're going to fall to, you know, six either. So I think that this is probably an eight win team, something like that. Uh, It won't give me the most points, obviously, probably not going to get double digits. But I think Dave Aranda, uh, you know, one of the best defensive coordinators, defensive play callers in college football and finally gets an opportunity to run his own program and inherited a, a decent situation from Matt rule, uh, quarterback. If, if uh, Charlie Brewer can stay healthy, I feel good about, uh, you know, his ability there. And I, I feel pretty good about Aranda's ability to, to get a defense ready to play. So, uh, I'm going to go with Aranda, uh, and hopefully, you know, <laughs> hopefully eight wins, something like that. Don't get too many, uh, negative point, uh, totals. All right, uh, last two here for Xavier. Yeah, um, first and foremost, I think that I'm going to go with... Uh, <laughs> uh, like, I know... These are the ones that ruin you. These are the last couple. I know, you know who I want to leave Scott with because <laughs> he's a team... I know who you want to leave me with, too. All right, so I'm going to go with Jeff Halfley. As my 21st pick here, uh, I think that the ACC, we talked about it in our episode, is is wide open. I think that they have an opportunity here to match their total from last year, um, When especially when in the season they're playing teams like Holy Cross and Kansas. I think that that's at least two wins right then and there. They're only four away from their total, and you're telling me right now that they can't get them against uh, Ohio, Syracuse, uh, Wake Forest without Jamie Newman or NC State, who was abysmal last year. It's all possible. I think that, you know, Six wins is possible for me. I think that ultimately with the ACC being such a volatile conference, I think that they have the uh, at least the opportunity to do it. And this is also why I'm going to pick my next team, and it's going to be Todd Graham of Hawaii. Yes, they have a pretty difficult schedule outside of their conference. Uh, but once again, I look at the rest of their conference and I go, I think they can run the table. Um, you know, they played Oregon. They played Arizona. They played UCLA and Boise State, which – you know, worries me a little bit that they won't reach the same win total that they had last year. Uh, but they also play teams like Fordham, which I think, you know, and when you look at the rest of their conference, they've dominated for the most part. Uh, they got to 10 wins last year. And I think that they have an opportunity to do it again this year. I mean, it's going to be tough um, in his first year. But, man, I just really don't think that there's anybody else on this list that's going to, you know, get anywhere close to double digits um, as far as, you know, uh, as coaches left on this list in their first year have the opportunity because of how good Hawaii is in their own conference. All right. Last All right. pick, Nick. Oof. Yeah. I, I, Marcus Arroyo or Jeff Trailer. <laughs> I mean. Uh. I I considered this guy as early as pick 14. So I, I feel I got a, I got a, a major steal with Jeff Trailer. 
the new head coach at Texas San Antonio. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not a huge believer in, in UTSA this year, and, and uh, they've definitely underperformed a lot in recent years, but the schedule looks pretty good. I mean, they, they have a trip to Texas State. They play Grambling. Uh, Old Dominion, you know, that's a winnable game at Rice, UTEP. So there there are definitely winnable games. I, I think that he'll be able to match last year's last season's win total. And I think I think if a couple of things break right, that uh, this is, is potentially a team that could get to bowl eligibility. So I feel pretty good about Jeff Trailer at uh, number 23. Well, I guess I'll take Marcus Arroyo since he is yeah. the last one left. So, uh, all right, let's go Rebels. Come on. Uh, so the final tally here is for Bogman. I've got Norvell, Leach, Clark, Rain, Hoke, Scott, Durrell, and Arroyo. Uh, for Nick, he's got Adazio, Silverfield, Gonzalez, Washington, DeBoyer, uh, Rolovich, Aranda, and Trailer. And for Nick, it's... Uh, oh, Lake. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote the whole thing. But... Yeah, I'm just burning through. And then uh, Xavier is <laughs> Kiffin, Shiano, Drinkwitz, Pittman, Tucker, Taggart, uh, Halfley, and Graham. So, Nick, after doing this exercise, uh, do you feel well, what's your level of confidence in your selections here? Well, I, I, I was probably a little silly taking Adazio as soon as I did. I know nobody, nobody wanted him, but I just thought it was, uh, I thought the value was there. Probably could have, uh, probably could have taken it. Uh, Kiffin, maybe that that probably was a good pick. Had uh, had an opportunity maybe to to take him and Adazio, uh, but uh, I feel good. I feel good. I I, I liked it. I, I hope that uh, we explained it decently well enough, and uh, I think that uh, we could do some similar things uh, in the future. So I, I, uh, I'm excited about it. I, I think Adazio is going to be, uh, the MVP top, top point, uh, getter here for us. And, and I'm going to look like a genius when all of a sudden, Xavier, uh, genius level of your picks. What <laughs> one to 10, how confident are you? <laughs> I'm at least an eight. Cause I think Kiffin, you know, could really run the table with Ole Miss. You know, I think honestly, he might have to carry at some point this year. Um, if Shiano gets to six wins, I, I think personally I've done an amazing job getting him at four. Uh, <laughs> my only worry, my only concern, and I genuinely went with low win totals on purpose because if Taggart somehow ruins it at FAU and Graham doesn't do what he's supposed to at Hawaii, that could really hurt me. Both of them had uh, Taggart or FAU had 11 wins last year and Hawaii had 10. If they go like eight wins, that's not going to bowl well. And, and I'm really worried about those two, pit, those two uh, picks in general or in specific. So I'm going to give myself like a seven, seven and a half, eight on the uh, on the confidence scale. I'm going to go with uh, a you, uh, five for me. I, I definitely put together a Ricky Bobby, uh, you know, if you ain't first, you're last type of a team here. Uh, mainly low win totals. I did take Clark. That one could bite me, but I'm thinking, you know, if he gets to 12 wins, I get at least 11 points out of him. So, uh, but this is definitely a risky team for sure with all the low win totals that I uh, picked up here. So a little bit risky, uh, but I, I think that that could easily, you know, all I need is if Old Dominion wins seven games. It's <laughs> over. You know, I mean, I've, that's 12 points uh, out of uh, Ricky Rain. So, uh, you know, let, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope Old Dominion has a year like they did a couple <laughs> years back. So, uh, but not not extremely confident. So we'll see how this pans out. But uh, what are we doing? What's on the docket for next week, Nick? 
So next week uh, in our, our conference preview series, we'll turn to the AAC, uh, spend a little time on that, and uh, whatever happens, I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about from news and notes and spring practice, assuming that uh, Any some teams are able to done. actually get out there on the field. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so – but, but uh, other than that, the AAC is you know, shaping up to be a lot of fun next year. Uh, Memphis, uh, of course, UCF, I think, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about. They were better than, than, you know, they sort of fell off a lot of people's uh, radar last year once they finally lost a regular season game and, and ended up, you know, losing, what, three, right? Ten and three, something like that. But uh, our numbers said they were still the best team in the American at, at the end of the year. So uh, that's carried over to this year, and, and I feel pretty good about it. Seem, you know, pretty excited about Memphis and Cincinnati as well. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he'll be able to get back on the field, yeah. Uh, but but a good sign and, you know, some, some fun storylines and some pretty good teams too. So should be fun. All right, well, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, and at CFP Winning Edge. And we'll see you guys next week for the AAC. Take it easy, everybody. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details. Mm-hmm.